You know what we're bad at in this country? Death. Not the act of dying so much, but dealing with it. The Victorians were horrified by sex, but practically fetishized death, and we do just the opposite. Sex is one of our major cultural food groups, but death? Death we treat like it's some embarrassing lifestyle choice. Maybe Laurie Kilmartin can help. She's a TV comedy writer, and in 2014, as her father was dying, she tweeted about it from bedside to graveside. From that comes her new book, Dead People Suck, a guide for survivors of the newly departed. For Gen X, Gen Y, and millennials especially, it's a poignant and practical approach to first-time coping with your dearly departing. And for all of us, it's about how to plan so we don't make a mess of it on the way to our big exit. You write in your book, Americans are too removed from death. We're shocked and unprepared when it happens even to old people. Maybe we should be forced to dig our own graves, not in a psychotic murdered hitchhiker way, but as a rite of passage. Why are we so bad at death in this country? I guess it just seems like a bummer. This is an optimistic country, right? Uh, and death, death seems like a, a really negative thing that <laughs> you can do. Uh, so I do, I do think if we, we had 17-year-olds when they graduate from high school, if they were to force to dig their own grave, you would just realize, wow, I'm, I'm going to end up here uh, sooner or later. And maybe that would help you frame your life a little bit better. You wrote this book because your father was dying. And you had to come to terms with a lot about yourself, not just about his life. Well, it, it was so strange that uh, – and I I still can't believe that I was so uh, shocked that this 83-year-old former smoker was dying of lung cancer. Like, you'd think I'd know, you know, but I, uh, but I didn't. And um, so I guess um, I was surprised at how, how surprised I was that I was losing my dad. You know, I'm a comic, so I kind of – you know, just go to jokes naturally. And I that was just how I kind of processed it, I guess. When my dad got cancer, I started joking about it on stage. And it was like this uh, kind of a uh, an attempt to make sure he didn't die of cancer. Like if I joke about it, there's no way that it's actually going to happen. Like a version of magical thinking. And then after he passed away, I just had a, I had a lot, a lot to say. But this isn't just a book of comedy, although there's a lot of comedy in it. It's about practical advice. Right, right. Like recording conversations between your parents while they're still alive. And just do it slyly. You know, put your, you know, record on your iPhone. You know, you can put your napkin over it so no one knows you're recording it. The dynamic between your parents obviously is gone when one of them dies. And I know because my mother is still alive, she's so different without my dad that when I hear the conversations where they're joking together, I'm like, oh, yeah, she was fun once, you know, and and they were fun together and or they weren't fun together. They, you know, she nagged him and he got annoyed. But uh, it's weird how you forget all of that. So I always I, I suggest slyly recording dinners, you know, while you're there. And then there's your version of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross stages of dying. And Elizabeth (laughs) Kubler-Ross goes through anger and finally reaches acceptance. Your advice, certainly for after the fact, is have a garage sale, but don't (laughs) give it all away. I I have a bunch of stuff that I'm probably going to get rid of, but I need to get rid of it uh, on my own time. I kept this giant desk of his because I thought, I would really love to write on it, and I don't. Like, I paid a lot of money to restore it. <laughs> it's probably on its way out, um, but I, I, I guess I, I didn't want to miss it. I know if I keep things for about 10 years and then ship them out, then, then I guess I won't feel a, a longing for it. 
I have a lot of his papers. I have a I have a lot of his the things he wrote and you know they're all, like they're engineering papers and they're equations and and you know I don't know what they mean, but I'm still holding on to those. I, those there's some things my son will have to just burn. You know, let the grandkids have a bonfire one day. That's good. It's weird. Like, I got very into Ancestry.com after my dad died because I was trying to figure him out. And he was 100%, he's 100% of Irish Catholic stock, and they're all from famine immigrants. And so the more I got into it, the more I just, I, I wish he was there to talk about his, his what he remembered from his grandparents. And uh, so I guess I'm, I'm trying to keep all that stuff for my son so he won't have to ask all those questions. Maybe he'll be interested when he's 50 and 40 years when I'm dead. And you also have advice to fathers who are dying before they die to please have your sons shred your porn before your daughters see it. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I never found any porn for my, like, I don't think my dad had any. It just wasn't in his frame of reference. Um, But it was my great worry (laughs) that I would discover my dad had a a dark side we didn't know. Whatever you have, if you're a dying old, older man, get a male to dispose of it. Daughters need to idolize their dads. It feels good. You really just want to keep your dad on a pedestal where he is. Like, just let us have this. Let Let me just remember the best things about you. So please, please shred your porn. You did something that I thought was very tender, which was you stayed with your dad's body after he died. Yeah, my dad died uh, on a Sunday morning, and um, we just didn't want to let him go. He was still warm, and he still looked alive. He looked like he was sleeping. Um, And so, you know, it was since he was doing a home hospice, it was sort of up to us to call the mortuary. And we just decided to keep him overnight. We called and asked if that was okay. And they said, keep the house cold. And so we kept it cold. Uh, It was March. We didn't have to work too hard to do that. And um, the Oscars were uh, that night. And uh, we watched the Oscars with my dad's body. My dad, of course, when they, you know, he had cancer, so he died super skinny. So we were all able to fit on the, the single hospital bed that um, that we had in the living room. We watched the Oscars. Had you watched the Oscars with him before? Um, no, he's the guy that w- had no interest in that. Of course, he enjoyed, you know, the Oscars as much in death as he had in life. People try to put us to just because we get around Talking about my generation Things they do look awful Talking about my generation I hope I die before I get old Talking about my generation Just my generation, my generation baby You were on your phone. You were looking at your phone when your dad died. Oh, yeah. Like you don't really know when the person's last moments are going to be. So I was, you know, sitting watch with my dad. I was on duty, uh, I guess, that Sunday morning. And my sister was sleeping in. She had been up late. And my mom was sleeping in. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, he's not breathing anymore. <laughs> oh, ding, it happened. You know, and I called them down. But I, you know, I wasn't, you know, completely ignoring a dying man. But it, it, I guess if you took a snapshot at that moment, it looked like I was. Well, a lot of people use Facebook and other media to mediate their relationships with reality anyway. Right. You referenced somebody who was taking a picture of them holding their dying parents' hand. Right. And posted it. 
that was a friend of mine, and I I thought it was really beautiful and really powerful, you know. And uh, I I guess this is the way we are now dealing with death is talking about it as it's happening online. And it's great to have people respond to you and to wish you well. And um, you know, like when my dad was dying, uh, we read a lot of Facebook messages to him that from people he hadn't heard from in years. He loved it. He loved it. And if we'd have kept it quiet, he wouldn't have had those things to hear. Everybody cries, but you're very practical, like when to cry, how to cry, where to howl. Yeah. You know, get your howl room already. <laughs> Go into a soundproof room. You, you feel it coming. You know, you have to do that kind of primal scream you're probably going to do just once or twice in your life, hopefully. And, you know, if you're a woman, take your bra off. You don't want to be constrained. Let it fly. Wear loose clothing. Write a note um, so that people know you're screaming because something horrible happened and not that something, you know, you're being attacked. And, uh, and just go for it. And then there's how everybody else treats you. The words that people try to come up with to tell you, I'm really sorry. Yeah. And the words that they shouldn't use. People are just trying to mitigate and trying to make you feel better. You know, I think I'm sorry for your loss is completely perfect. And it it really lets the person know that you like you feel sorrow. And then you the second half for your loss is is their losses for them to define, you know, because some people have very complicated relationships with their parents. If you're assuming that they love their dad as much as you loved yours, that's an that's an extra burden for them to have to deal with. So if you just say, I'm sorry for your loss, they can, you know, they can go, well, it wasn't much of a loss. It's it's like hacky and old, but it's perfect. And there's another one. He, what? He's in a better place? Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Maybe he was an awful dad and he was in hell. He should be in hell. You, you just never know how the person feels about their loved one. And for all of us who've done this, just coming to terms with it to tell someone else is hard. To say, he died, takes months when you have to start to notify the authorities, like you have to call Social Security, um, we had to go to Verizon and you know get uh, and my dad's phone contract, and that's I think that's the first time I told someone. Is that he, how you get out of he it? He died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's still it's still tricky. You still have to provide a death certificate, so you have to get the death certificate. You have to call you know various government offices, and so you just by doing the the legal work of ending someone's life, you you do say he died. Um, and that's that's the first time I got practice doing it. And now, you know, it's it's been four years and it's a fact and it's okay. I don't flinch when I say it and I don't feel nauseous when I say it. One of the most important parts of this book, I think, is the takeaway for people who survive their parents and who go on to think about their own mortality and their yeah. own death. And it's practical advice. Write your own obituary. Yes. Be in control of your own death, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I... I want all my credits on my obituary. You know, I mean, I, I'm a writer for Conan. I think that'll make it. But some people, my son might not know I was a writer for the Bonnie Hunt show. I want my entire IMDb profile in my obituary. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's definitely good to write your own. And also it helps you go, wow, I haven't accomplished what I've wanted to. Or it can help you go, you know what? I've done it all. And now it's time to kick back and uh, live as frugally as possible on Social Security, <laughs> I don't, depending on what you want out of life. Uh, you know, my mom lives with me now, and I, I, I see what it's going to be like to be elderly, and it's going to be awful. And so 
you know, I've sort of elder, elderly proved to my home as much as possible, and I'm just going to leave it when she's gone because I, I don't want to die climbing over the bathtub wall to get into the bathtub shower combo. So I got rid of the tub, and I just walk right in. I, uh, my goal is to die in my sleep in my bed when I'm 100 with my aqua-colored comforter. I have it all planned out. Please let that happen. <laughs> Have you changed your image of your father now that he's dead? I felt lucky when I had my dad, but I was also he. We're very apart politically. He was in the Tea Party, and he died before Trump. So I don't. Luckily, we don't have to have that argument. Now, looking back, I I hardly remember that at all. Like I just remember, you know, he was always there to pick me up uh, when I flew home from a gig. What section of the bookstore would you like this in? Would you like it under humor or in the practical advice like gardening and building a fallout shelter? I guess humor. Death is just one other thing we should be laughing at, you know? It's here and it's coming for you. uh, And it's coming for everyone you love. (laughs) So you, you might as well have a sense of humor about it. Lori Kilmartin, it was wonderful to read. Thank you so much. I'm gonna live till I die. I'm gonna laugh instead of cry I'm gonna take the town and turn it upside down I'm gonna live, live, live until I die They're gonna say... Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited by Annie Chelsea and engineered by Tim French. The musical moments are from Funeral March of a Marionette by Charles Gounod on YouTube. Frank Sinatra sings I'm Gonna Live Till I Die on Capitol Records. Jeff Beck plays Amazing Grace from Sony Music Entertainment. And The Who performs My Generation on the Decca label. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast. Gonna fly, I'll take a chance, riding high. Before my number's up, I'm gonna fill my cup. I'm gonna live, 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 live until I die.